that's what I believe, but I don't always love believing it. Yeah. It's not a very comforting worldview. Hello, friends. Hola, compadres. Oh, we're bilingual now? <laughs> Maybe. I didn't take Spanish. I'm just hoping that meant friends. Sounds right. <laughs> well, whoever you are in whatever language, hello <laughs> and welcome to Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast about imperfect people having... Where imperfect people have imperfect conversations. Imperfect people having imperfect conversations. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Christina. I'm Lauren and I'm prepared. <laughs> Lauren is definitely the more prepared between the two of us. I actually practice that because we always fuck it up. <laughs> so today is going to be a little different from our previous episodes. In a way. In a way, yeah. Um, I'm really excited because while we don't have a guest, we did reach out to one of our longtime listeners. She's not been a guest, but it feels like she's been a guest because she sends yeah. in so many voicemails. And she's really going to help us out this time. Yeah, so um, we knew we wanted to talk about death just as a concept and how it affects mental health. And Alyssa has actually worked in the death industry. So we thought she would be the perfect person to ask to send in some recordings about this stuff. So what we're going to do on this episode, we're going to have some really heavy conversations about a very heavy topic. Of course, we're going to put our own spin on it and we're going to cope with it how we do, which is by sometimes making jokes. <laughs> um, but it is a serious episode and I wanted to do like a trigger yeah, not warning. To, not to make light of anything that, you know, like, ah, ha, ha, death is funny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but it is a part of life, and I think mm -hmm. we should be able to talk about it, which is what we wanted to do on this episode. So yeah. before we listen to the voicemails that Alyssa sent, I wanted to quickly go over not only the pickle poll answers, but also like our own experiences with death. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I wanted to make this episode is because I have not experienced any major deaths in my life yet. And I know that's not common for someone who's 30 years old. And it's something yeah, that... That got addressed, I saw. <laughs> yeah, it did get addressed. So uh, so real quick, before we get to the pickle poll, I think we should talk about how we're doing this week. So Lauren, where are you at? I know you're going through a lot. Yeah, I am at trying to move. And it is so stressful. Like, I've almost been resentful the past couple of days because I live alone. And while I'm trying to get everything done feeling like, you know, I know people that have moved recently, but you know, they, they're married or they're living with someone or yeah. something like that. And they, they have some help. And I'm just kind of like, I'm trying to pack, I'm trying to cancel all my utilities here and get them started there and make sure that I get all the fees and things that I need to pay to the people running my next apartment on time. And everyone seems to be bugging me and being like, well, you need this. Why don't we have that? And I'm just like, I'm trying to also get my house packed, okay? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Moving is a special kind of hell. And I've done yeah. it alone a lot. But the last time mm -hmm. I moved recently, I did it with my partner. And it was it was such a better experience. Like, I can't imagine doing it on your own. I mean, I can and it sucks. Yeah, it's just that. And that's why I said this more recently. I've just felt some things like, well, I'm trying to get everything else done. And something else pops in my head. And I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if I had somebody else that I could just be like, can you just make sure that the gas gets canceled? Yeah. Pico, <laughs> I'm trying to do Pico you're on that. <laughs> right? Meatball, you can handle bubble wrap. 
<laughs> oh my god, he you you picked his favorite thing. <laughs> I know, I know something about kittens. Yes. Yeah, and and I appreciate you taking the time in the middle of moving to do this. <laughs> I was like, so we're talking about death. It's going to be very serious, and you're going to be in the middle of moving, but it'll be mm-hmm. fine. This episode is also airing on Halloween. Yes, I, I liked that little kind of nod to Halloween and death. So you're packing now. When do you actually like get into your new place? So Monday... On Halloween, actually, I (gasps) pick up my keys. Oh, I love that. And as I've been telling people the last few days, I feel like um, my neighbors are doing everything in their power the last couple of nights to make me remember why I can't stand living here. Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, they're being extra noisy. The neighbor lady below me is talking on the phone really loud until like 1.30 in the morning. If you didn't need (laughs) any other validation... Exactly. So it says it's getting to the point where it's so bad that I'm just kind of like, you know what? I'm going to pick my keys up on Monday. I don't care if I sleep on a pile of laundry. I don't want to sleep an extra night here that I I have to. Yeah. My last apartment that I was in by myself, I had a lot of bad memories there. So it felt really good. Like not just not just Mm -hmm. to physically leave the place and get everything clean and empty, but also just being like, okay, I'm leaving this version of myself behind yes. i'm taking the good stuff leaving the bad stuff and we're gonna start over mm-hmm. and so then the the next day that i have a friend is gonna help me bring um a couple carloads of stuff over nice okay so good then, yeah then i should have enough to kind of like semi comfortably live until two days later when my movers take everything else nice mm-hmm. i'm so excited for you your, your new place too. is unreal like i've seen pictures <laughs> y'all have no idea it, what is it a oh, renovated oh. schoolhouse yeah, we, we should post some of my pictures. Oh, it we is, will. Yeah, you, you can't believe it until you see it. Like, I have this amazing I was window. bowled over. <laughs> I am so excited to record there in December when I visit yes, you. I might too. just move in. Sorry <laughs> okay. to my partner who's... Well, my partner doesn't really listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's okay. fine. Um, yeah, and I'm you just probably both in. fit if you want. I mean, I've... I've pointed out that I I have two bedrooms but I also had they said like oh you know like the one you're getting has this extra storage space the storage space is the size of a bedroom oh my god (laughs) it's gonna be so great you you deserve it It, it's gonna be hard like getting through the moving process is always hard Mm -hmm. but when you get through it it'll be once it's done I'm gonna be so happy yes (laughs) yeah um I've been doing all right this week I've re- I'm really proud of myself, actually, because I've focused a lot on self-care this week, and I've always been really bad at doing that in the past. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the kind of person who will work through a shift even if I'm, like, throwing up because I don't want to go home. Like, I don't want people to think that I'm just, like, lazy. But, <laughs> I relate to that. <laughs> yeah, but this week I've really been paying extra attention to how I feel because I've been, you know, hormonal because of like my period or whatever and Mm -hmm. like I've said in past episodes I'm not used to getting a period regularly with the eating disorder stuff and so when it happens I never lost mine (laughs) oh I mean I also have which I mean is good on some way but yeah I mean I also have um birth control like a the IUD so that oh okay makes it even worse so I get suicidal and just debilitatingly anxious on weeks that I get my period and so this week I've been really like slowing down and noticing if I don't feel like going out, I don't make myself go out. Because in the past, like, if I just sat at home and didn't do anything all day or didn't even go on a walk, I would just beat myself up. Because God forbid, I don't do anything. But I recently listened to a podcast. I forget what it was, but um, they were saying, like, rest 
is an activity. Like rest oh, is I love that. something that you need to do. Like yeah. you need to if you're resting, <laughs> that's productive actually. And so that really changed the way I thought about like rest. And so on Wednesday I was feeling really sick at work. Like, like I was going to throw up. My acid reflux was really bad because, you know, I'm recovering from bulimia. And so I have constant acid reflux. I should just buy stock in Tums at this point. <laughs> right. um, and so I left like two hours early and I felt really guilty about it. But I rested and I was really happy I did. So I just wanted to brag about that. That's awesome, especially because I did the opposite. I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> Learn <laughs> from me. <laughs> I woke up uh, like early, early Tuesday morning with like the worst migraine I've had in a super long time. You know, the ones where it's just kind of like, it's just so much pain that you feel like all you can do is lay on the floor and cry, but you can't cry because that makes it hurt more. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so when it wasn't going away, I know like 630 in the morning, then I sent a message to work and I was just like, I didn't even want to, you know, I didn't even want the light of my phone. So I'm sure there was just like typos and everything, you know, it was just like, Bad migraine, can't come in. Boom. <laughs> okay, so you did call out. Yes, but then I have like, I do have these kind of like super meds that are the only thing that touch it. And I remembered I had those. So I took them and I woke up about like nine o'clock like, oh, it's gone. And, you know, like that was good. But still, when you have a really bad migraine like that, I feel like the rest of the day is kind of precarious. You're always like, don't move too much. It might come back. Oh, I can't imagine. But I woke up at that point and I was like, oh, well, I'm okay. And I'm going to take some days off to move. And I got a lot of shit to get done at work. So I just, you know, like sent them another message like, okay, the meds worked. I'll be in at noon. (laughs) Oh, you tried. Yes. You know, self-care is a practice. It really yeah. is. And if you're not used to taking care of yourself, it doesn't matter how old you are, you got to practice at it. And even if like little things mm-hmm. like that, like going in a few hours later, I think that's a win. Yeah. And I, I do love though what you said. I'm going to try and remind myself that's that's an activity. It really is. We do love activities. Yes. <laughs> right. Um. Okay. Are you ready to talk about death? Yes. Yes. Okay. We got a lot. Yeah. The pickle poll is a question that we put out every couple weeks to start a conversation about mental health and our listeners respond whether via voicemail or in the comments and it's pretty great so yeah, we got a lot of good comments this time yeah so the question that we posted was pretty simple it was just have you ever known anyone that died and how did it affect your mental health mm-hmm. tell me why you wanted to post that question in particular So we knew we were going to talk about death and we kind of, we went back and forth and we kind of struggled with how to word it in the second to the last, um, (laughs) like possibility. I felt like Christina had a pretty good just kind of summarization of it, but I know I, I did specifically say like, I really want to start it out just saying point blank, have you known anyone that died? Cause I felt like that opens up people the most to just be like, Oh, I, I need to talk about this. So before we read the answers that people commented um, I already answered for myself. What about you, Lauren? I, I mean, I know that you have known people that died. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yes, I do. And uh, one of them, I'm hoping because there is a specific question that I asked for Alyssa to answer um, in relation to, you know what? I'm going to let Meeple in. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he's being way more annoying Yeah, we'll outside. start over the question. <laughs> 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 I put his toy that jingles up high so he can't. Oh, perfect! Thank you. (laughs) 
right. He's so cute. I just can't be mad at him. I can't. I know. <laughs> um, okay, so start over your answer to what's your experience with people who died. Yeah, so um, there's one thing that I really want to get into, but I want to get into it when Alyssa talks about a specific question that I asked. And yeah, her, her voicemails will lead to a lot of conversations. Yeah, and that's going to be my first experience. But um, other than that, I know it's it's been brought up before, and... Sadly, it's um, it's me trying to just uh, not even always get help with my mental health. Sometimes just get some kind of, you know, like people to understand and get some community. But, you know, like really finding other people that share that. And I feel like that is what has brought on, unfortunately, more people that I know that have died because it ends up being, yeah, like suicide and depression and eating disorder complications and yeah would you say you've known more people that have died than most people your age i would say that i've known more people let's say like under 40 who've died Hmm. like more people who've died young yeah that's not i mean i like i said i don't have that experience and so i don't know what's typical and what's not Mm -hmm. I, i think it is less common to know more as many people as you have that have died at that age. I don't think yeah. that's very common. No. Do you find having lost that many people that it's easier to talk about this stuff? Kind of. I mean, I think there's still like there's still the ones, you know, that like really hurt. But yeah. at the same time, it's just kind of like you start. I mean, I can imagine they never stop hurting. No, but I, I remember um leaving treatment my first time and knowing that a few people were in some pretty bad places or got right back in them once you know they got home and I just I remember thinking at one point of just like three people in particular and I was just like one of them's not gonna last the year I know it and that was scary (laughs) did they um they made it a year but maybe not two that's so sad Mm mm-hmm yeah, and, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, so we won't go into it too much, but there is that guilt when you get better or, like, get out and they don't, and it, it, it is a really hard feeling to navigate. So let's read some of these comments. Let's take turns. How about that? Yeah, let's take turns. I'll read the first one. So the first comment we got on Instagram is from uh, Anamoya Analog. It's someone I know in real life. Okay. Uh, she says... I'm going to minimize because we can elaborate later. Ha ha. Uh, she wants to be on the podcast eventually. Ah. <laughs> uh, but when my mom died, it sucked. Thinking about that actually makes me think of how many people I know that have died. It feels like a lot, but I convince myself these are quote unquote first world losses and quote unquote first world problems. Sounds weird, maybe, but that's how it affected my mental health. Am I making sense? First of all, yes. I, I really love that first world losses. Yeah. That was something that really stuck out. That resonated with a few people. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you relate to that? I feel like I can't really speak because I haven't lost anyone close to me. This was, yeah, this I think was the first comment that I saw show up. And <laughs> it, it felt like, I don't know, it mirrored my soul in some ways just when it started out. I'm just going to minimize because I was like, yep, that'd be the first thing that I do is just be like. Yeah, on the last <laughs> episode, you talked about how you minimize things. Mm-hmm. Like I said, as will come up, there's some things that probably people would see as like very tragic and sad. And I'm just kind of like, well, yeah, but you know, it wasn't that big a deal because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. And, and everyone, 
like a lot of people know people that die and Mm -hmm. as you get older it happens more and more and so I can see how you would think that it is minimized because everyone has had that experience you don't think you're special I mean I'm just hypothesizing here is that how you felt yeah and also I'm thinking like maybe this person answering I mean (laughs) blunt but obviously true she's like when my mom died it sucked yeah I'm sure it did yeah but you know, when you answer this question now, I can see where it's like, at this point, you've probably had to tell people so much and heard everybody's reaction that it, it almost kind of like numbs it to some point. So I can see where you get to start, start to minimize because you're like, I know I've already went through the shock of this happened to me. Yeah, people cope in all sorts of ways. Mm-hmm. So next comment. Yeah, so this is, uh, well, I'm still not entirely positive. I'm going to say rouse therapy. Rouse therapy. Rouse therapy, yeah. Yeah, so before we read it, this is a previous podcast guest. Oh, cool. His name is David Kalili, and he's a, a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in sex, anxiety, queer, multi-ethnic issues, polyamory, kink, oh, wow. and a lot more. Um, we did an episode. It's episode 67, Smorgasbord of Delight. I want to go back and listen to this one. <laughs> it's so, so good. He's an amazing human, and he's grown his practice a lot since we did that episode. There's, like, more practitioners there now. It, it's really great. If anyone's oh, interested so cool. in, like, sex positivity and, like, all the stuff I just mentioned, check out Rouse Therapy. But, yeah, read his comment. All right. Yeah, I'm already seeing. This is the one that made my jaw drop. I've experienced multiple deaths since 13, including a friend die in a motorcycle wreck in front of me at 15. Jesus. I know. (laughs) Lots of friends lost to substances and family members to cancer. In my experience, it can really disrupt your sense of security and certainty. In some ways, it's important perspective to have about life. Would have been cool to start that perspective a little later, personally (laughs) speaking. (laughs) Yeah. Side note, it's wild when I meet people in their 30s who haven't experienced a significant loss. That's me. Yeah. Uh, What do you, do you have any thoughts about this? Well, I I really loved the part that, yes, like it would have been nice to start that a little perspective later, which, yeah, I, I totally get that, especially when you've seen so many people just die too young. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I saw the same thing. I was considerably older when that started for me, but yeah. <laughs> so I have a confession. I'm really, I'm kind of sensitive about the fact that I haven't experienced any major deaths at the age of 30 and so a few people made comments like this like it's so crazy like a a friend Mm -hmm. messaged me and said the craziest part about that question was that I didn't realize there were people that hadn't experienced death yet Um, and my reaction to those at first was to be a little hurt complete Mm -hmm. honesty which is so ridiculous right well I wondered when I read that I actually did like catch that I wondered I was like is that going to sound kind of like a slight? But I was I was hoping because I felt like him saying that it sounded like saying like there's multiple people. Like I was hoping that made you feel like you're not the only one. Oh, it's yeah. just kind of a weird thing, you know, to this person who has experienced it so much first. I know. And, you know, both experiences are totally valid. Like if you mm-hmm. have lost a lot of people or even like one or two people or no people, like it's all valid. We can't really control this. Um, and so I... That one of the reasons I was happy that we posted the question the way we did is because I was kind of expecting to get that comment and like mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Like yeah. that insecurity. Um, the next comment is from Sumoji 
who is a dear friend of mine in real life. And she didn't really elaborate, but she did say that, oof, this was my catalyst to what made me spiral. I was hoping this was somebody, yeah, that you knew because when it was just just that single sentence like that, I was like, I, I hope that you're going to have some more uh, insight on that because I bet you will. <laughs> I do. And I don't want to share a lot on the podcast. I don't know what she's comfortable with me sharing, right, right. but she lost her dad. And, you know, she is closer to your age. She has three kids and a husband. And like, I met her at Starbucks, actually. She's okay. one of my favorite people on earth. And I always looked up to her as this really, really strong person. Like she always just was one of those people that did it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was the person who actually inspired me to go. I mean, I was in school at the time when I met her uh, and Mm -hmm. she was in school as well. We both went to this program through Starbucks, but like she really motivated me to keep doing it and to graduate. And when she lost her dad, like she just spiraled, like she said in her comment. And it, it was really eye opening because she was in a lot of pain and she was pretty open about it online. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that. Because it shows that, like, no matter what stage in life you are, you know, you can still experience these just devastating losses that can cause you to spiral. Like, even if your life is amazing and full. And uh, I know for her, it was very unexpected. And so. Yeah. And this reminds me of something um, that I heard. It was a while ago, and I don't necessarily remember that well, so I might be paraphrasing badly. But I remember hearing something, someone say recently that it was like, Yes, there are, you know, like the stages of death that you go through, you know, the the grief, the acceptance, denial, all this stuff. And they're like, but it's not like a set pattern where it's like, oh, you expect you spend so much time in this and then this. And they're like, and it's not linear. Like sometimes yeah. you go back and you repeat some. <laughs> it's like recovery. It's like yeah. anything, mm-hmm. in, any process that you need to go through to grow or just to, to get through one of life's chapters. Because there's so many things yeah. life throws at you that... You know, people tell you how to deal with it, but you can't Mm -hmm. really know how you're going to deal with it until it happens and everyone deals with it in their own way. Yeah, I felt like that helped me understand some friends like that, like might have gone through like a parent death or something really significant where it's like kind of like you see them go through the stages and you're like, okay, you're at the one before acceptance. So after this, you should be fine. It's like, nope, then maybe they just go back to grief. (laughs) Like that happens. Yeah. Um, Let's read the last comment. Because then we can get into Alyssa's voicemail. She talks a lot about that. Okay. You you will love this with your religious upbringing. For some reason, when I saw this name, I got like recovering P-A-S-T. And immediately I thought, as in pastor. Recovering pastaholic. Oh, pasta. I was thinking like a pastor. I literally thought it was a pastor until this very moment i thought it was like recovering <laughs> pastorholic and yes. it, it is pastaholic, pastaholic. Oh but it God. did take me yeah two or three times reading it too before i was like oh pasta. i follow so many like like spaghetti religious deconstruction <laughs> accounts and i also follow a lot of eating disorder recovery accounts so this is sometimes they intersect anyway i love it anyway recovering pastaholic says yes all caps so many people especially within the last year A few deaths in the past really sent me into a downward spiral of depression and self-destructive coping mechanisms to, quote, numb the pain. Lately, the losses have come in the form of ugly reminders that life is short, which has given me more anxiety than anything. I feel like my time is running out, too, and I have to hurry up and get my shit together or do the things I want before my time is up. I mean, I can relate to that. I feel that so hard. Yep. The anxiety is just Mm -hmm. overwhelming. 
And yeah. I mean, I haven't experienced any deaths, but I do have a lot of death anxiety just waiting for my first big death. And it, like the anxiety is just unreal. One thing I think of that I'm kind of afraid of is, so I'm in my 40s, my next big milestone will be 50, and I always remember my mom saying when she turned 50, what she said was like, when I turned 40, it, it was all about like the number and the getting older, and she's like, but when I turned 50, it was about time. Mmm, how much time you have left, yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and that makes me that. think like, Am I going to feel that way? Am I going to like start thinking all the time? Like I'm probably more than halfway there. <laughs> I mean, I have felt like that for a while yeah. now. I feel like I didn't think I would reach 30. Well, yeah, I was going to say also at like 25. I thought right? I'm more than halfway there. Yes. <sighs> Let's play Alyssa's voicemail because um, okay. she sent in a lot and I compressed them into one long clip, but we're going to pause mm-hmm. it at certain moments and talk okay. about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, again, Alyssa is a longtime listener who has worked in the deaf industry and is an incredible person, and she was gracious enough to send these in. So thank you so much, Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Ready? ready? What is your relationship to death, and how does it tie into your mental health issues? My maternal grandmother died when I was seven. And I just remember vividly just being terrified at her viewing My mom offered to walk me down to go see her, and I was too scared. I don't know if I thought she was going to pop back up or what, but I was too scared to view her. But that's honestly a vague core memory of my first brush with death and what it means and how permanent it really is. And then my dad died very suddenly when I was 13. He had been sick. Um, he was coughing up blood and he was having seizures. Um, so I won't say very suddenly, but it was one of those things where he otherwise was kind of in good spirits. And I thought he was just going to fight whatever it was until I said goodbye to him in a Kaiser Permanente and never saw him again. (laughs) And he kept telling everybody, no, I just have a nosebleed. They say I have a nosebleed. And then I just remember him having like a cotton swabs, like the ones with the long sticks up his nose. And I just remember that and him telling me that he had a nosebleed and that they were going to treat it. And I don't, I don't know why I didn't believe him at the time, but I really genuinely just kind of was like, oh, my dad's full of shit. And I mean, he was. He was addicted to drugs pretty severely and he was an alcoholic. And he kind of hid that from me. And I had lived with him by myself. It was just me and him in the apartment. And I had just finally gotten to build a relationship with my dad when it happened. He wasn't there a lot. I mean, he was present, but he wasn't at the same time. So I only have a few memories of my dad from when I was young. Um, A lot of them of which are just us playing video games together. (laughs) Um, But other than that, most of my memories of my dad and us building a relationship is when I got older and I started living with him. So when my dad passed away, I, I thought it was going to hit me a lot harder than it did, but it was actually really interesting how it happened. I didn't cry. I didn't cry when my dad died. I didn't cry at his funeral. It was really, really strange because people bring up the fact, like people who attended my dad's funeral bring up the fact that I, I was acting weird, that I was trying to make jokes because I was trying to make my little brother laugh, but that I was I was just acting super strange. And it kind of pissed me off because I was a grieving 13-year-old and I don't know how you're supposed to act as a grieving 13-year-old for people to not bring that up when you're 26, 27. 
But anyway, yeah, I, I didn't cry. And I didn't know why. I didn't know if I was like, do I even miss him? And uh, it took a long time for me to actually grieve my dad properly. About 10 years, actually. I didn't start grieving my dad really until maybe eight years after he had died. Um, when I had moved out of my mom's house, I finally started to grieve. And I finally started to realize, oh, my dad's gone forever. He's never coming back. He's never going to be able to attend my wedding or see me, you know, graduate college or anything like that. Things that he said that he wanted to. So having this moment where I'm like, oh no, I never really got to grieve my dad. Almost a decade after I had lost him was really, really strange because I, I never, you know, I grieved a lot differently as a seven-year-old than I did as a 13-year-old where I, I cried because everyone else cried. You know, I missed my grandma, but I never really, I, I didn't have any idea that she was gone forever. It never hit me as a child, as a seven-year-old, oh, my grandma is just permanently out of the picture. You know, the only thing that is left of her is the memories that we carry. Because that's not how seven-year-olds think. They think, my grandma is gone. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel. You look to others and see how they feel to really kind of understand it but you don't have that permanence that direness there's no no abstract emotion to it there's no 10 year long grieving process there's no it's very immediate you feel what you feel in that moment and you 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 grow with it as you get older your feelings start to kind of slow down a little bit you mature, you process things a little bit differently now. And, and being able to mentally process what had happened to my dad was hard enough. But I had an epiphany where I, I did grieve my dad in that 10 year long process, just not in a very apparent way. I was grieving him, but it wasn't a crying, screaming, bargaining kind of grief. It came in anxiety and numbness, which, you know, was depression. It came in intrusive thoughts. I started getting really bad intrusive thoughts about death. Death was one of those things that just became a fixation. It was always looming. It made me realize very young that life is very fleeting. We had pets pass away. I would have to witness them. I had parakeets and they live a while, but they don't live that long. I had hamsters, you know, and I would always be the ones to find them. And so it just kind of solidified that constant cloud looming over me of death. I stopped wanting pets because I didn't want them to die in front of me. I stopped getting attached to people. I just kind of separated myself from people because I'm like, everybody's going to die. I'm going to die. And it was always in the back of my head. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And not in a suicidal way. I mean, I was passively suicidal at the time, but it was more just intrusive thoughts everywhere I looked. And to this day, I still have them when I look at things and I just imagine these gruesome ways that people die. And I, 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 it's never by my hand. I don't have violent thoughts. I have violent death thoughts, if that makes sense, where it, it's not purposeful. It's just an intrusive thought where I just, I look at somebody and then I just imagine a horrible way they could die or an animal, a horrible way that they could die, you know, getting eaten or getting attacked, getting hit by a car, things like that, or seeing roadkill and imagining how they died. 
it became a just a fixation that should not have been but it really started after my dad passed because i was always inherently atheist <laughs> so people would tell me oh he's in a better place now and all i'm thinking is yeah he's in a box <laughs> his ashes are in a box and that's it and it, it makes things very permanent it makes things very difficult you know, which is why I think a lot of people do choose to believe that there is an afterlife is because it's really hard to imagine yourself just not existing one day. I really want to emphasize that I am not denying anybody's religion. If, if you are religious and you believe in an afterlife, then, then that's what it is, okay? Whatever you say it is, is what it is. I'm not here to insult anyone's religion. I believe that everybody finds comfort in death, you know, in, in dying and, and comes to terms with dying in different ways. If you believe that you're going to go to heaven, then that's what it is. It is what you say it is, right? I'm just speaking my opinions. This is just how I feel. This is just my personal opinion. It has nothing to do with anybody else. But when I was a little kid sitting in church with my mom, it just never clicked for me. I never looked at that and went, yeah. That makes sense. I never looked at heaven or God or anything like that and went, yeah, that, 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 that works for me. It was always a, a question of it. So of course, when my dad passed away, it was a question of where he is. There was never this, this thought in my head where he's like, my dad's in heaven now smoking a joint with Bob Marley and Jimi Hendrix. Like there was never this thought in my head where I was just like, he's in heaven. I didn't believe in heaven. I still don't, but I didn't believe in heaven. I didn't believe in hell. I didn't think that he was in either of those places. I just think he ceased to exist. There was no soul. There was no divine retribution. There was no, none of it. And I, I think that being so young and not having some kind of, you know, afterlife in your thoughts, in your head, really makes death that much scarier and that much more permanent and, and it's really difficult to process death in that way when you're a kid. So my mental health issues stemmed from the fact that my dad died and my anxiety went through the roof because of it because I, I just, and I became obsessed with death and I had intrusive thoughts about death all the time. I still do. And how people die and, and what happens to them after they die and, and things like that. And, and knowing like, you know, everybody who told me, oh, he's in a better place now. I, I, and I just, I would look at them and I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> it wasn't that he was in a better place. He just wasn't there. He wasn't. He ceased to exist. It's just, there is no dad, you know? Ah, oh, first thoughts. I took so many notes while she was talking. Believe me, <laughs> so did I. Because, yeah, I have so many, like, personal things to relate to that. Um, right from the start, when the very first thing she said about, you know, like her grandma, that's, you know, like what I've been thinking coming into this is I'm like, well, the first person I remember dying is my great grandmother. And she had always been in really pretty good health, like into her 90s. Like she died at, I think, 94. And it really was, you know, just like the six months before then she just started having major health problems and going downhill fast. And that for me was probably about seven or eight when she died. But, you know, when I'm five or six, then she lived with you know my grandparents that were her child and husband and you know i'd go over there and she'd be there and you know and she was funny and she was always with it so you know i i knew her yeah she was in your life <laughs> right 
But she also was, yeah, 93, 94. So it's not like everyone was surprised. Exactly. <laughs> but what, what I did remember when, uh, when Alyssa was starting to talk, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that being the first funeral that I went to. And yeah, when I had to go up and look at her, I remember being really creeped out. And that ever since then, I felt like people in the showings, like their skin looks like plastic to yeah. me. Yeah. Alyssa has worked, I don't know the details if she was a mortician's assistant or what, Okay, mm-hmm. but she has worked with morticians and she knows, she'll, she goes later into more detail about like the, that process, but it really is jarring if you're not used to it. And depending on the mortician, like some people can truly look even more scary. Yeah. I always think of, yeah, like weird plastic skin and the smell of lilies. And both yeah. of those things, like, really unsettle me. <laughs> um, I actually have experienced one death that I did know kind of personally. So it was my cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in his late 20s when he died. He had, like, a sudden aneurysm or something. Ooh, okay. Um, And I was, I think, like, 18 when it happened. Mm-hmm. So I had known him, as you know, extended relatives that live in other states like I'd seen him on and off over the years and I you know he was very young and so it was it did hit me but again like Alyssa was saying not as hard as I thought it should have like I remember going to Mm -hmm. the funeral with my family and um, of course when someone that young dies it's heartbreaking and everyone is very emotional and I remember just being in line to see his body and it was, was like you said, very plasticky and just, it didn't look like him. Yeah. And I knew it wasn't him, even though at the time I was still in the religion, like I was trying to be a Christian, but I couldn't, like everyone was talking about how he was in a better place and it just didn't seem like that was enough for me. Like I didn't feel better. Yeah, I had something on that too, because I also doesn't sound like quite as much as you but I did I grew up in a religious household pretty much everyone in my family was Catholic I went to Catholic school and I remembered a point where every year on my birthday you know you're supposed to make a wish when you blow out your candles yeah and I want to say from like age 8 to 13 or something like that every single time my wish was that I would go to heaven oh wow and it was because I didn't have the same sort of beliefs as my parents um I did and would say I still do believe that there is, you know, some sort of higher something there. But I, at the same time, I also really accept the idea that I could be wrong. Exactly. I have no proof. I believe that we don't know. Yeah. That's what I'm like. That's, that's, that's my number one belief, but I'm not going to be like, well, (laughs) if there's nothing, I'm not going to be shocked because I won't be around. But also, I mean, I'm like, I'm not going to be shocked to find out like, actually, there is no afterlife and you're just gone. Yeah, it's a lot. I did want to tell a quick story. I don't want to spend too much time on it because religion and the afterlife is something that we could easily spend a whole episode on. Absolutely. And I don't want to talk about it too much, but... Uh, as you may know, listeners, I grew up in a very religious household, um, more so than the normal person, and I struggled with it, and a lot of my mental health issues stemmed from feeling like I should have had faith, but I didn't, feeling like I wasn't enough, and when I moved out at 18, I went to this Christian school and dropped out two years later, and throughout the whole time, I was trying to figure out who I was and what I believed in and all that jazz. So in 2013, um, I was living with my aunt in Texas, 
and I was pretty certain that I didn't believe in God anymore, but I hadn't told anyone about it. Um, even on this podcast, I, I haven't really told the whole story yet. I don't think I'm ready to. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but I had just started riding motorcycles. This also ties into David's comment from earlier. Uh, I had just started riding motorcycles and it was October 27th, 2013. It, the nine year anniversary just passed a couple days ago. And I totaled my first bike. I got put in the ambulance with like major contusions. I was wearing a helmet, so like nothing life threatening, but it was scary. And I was, I was on a lot of drugs. <laughs> and um, my parents lived like two hours away at the time, so they came to the hospital to see me. And in my drugged haze, I remember looking at my mom and saying, I don't believe in God anymore. And then she and my dad both looked down at me and they said, we know. Oh, <laughs> like, bitch, we know. Uh, and that was the first time that I kind of came out as yeah. an atheist. So tying it back to Alyssa's voicemail, I find it really hard to deal with death as someone who doesn't believe in an afterlife because I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, I kind of am more on the side of everything is random, like nothing happens mm-hmm. after you die. And mm-hmm. that's what I believe. But I don't always love believing it. Yeah. It's not a very comforting worldview. Yeah, I understand. Because like I said, I feel like very, very uncertain. And I do understand the people that are certain. I'm just kind of like, I get what it does for you. And I kind of wish I had something like that, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts before we play the rest? Yeah, yeah. So Please. something I wanted, I wanted to say really quick, and this might be something that I get into more later because it's, it's not quite death related. <laughs> it's close. So... When I was like six years old, apparently my dad had, I know that it was labeled a bleeding ulcer, but it sounds like it was more serious than that. Like something hadn't formed right in his inside anatomy. So like not only was his stomach was filling with blood and then, you know, oh, it would God. all come out. And But also like they'd go into the hospital and they couldn't find it because they didn't know where to look. That's so scary. How old were you when this was going on? So I was six. Oh, yeah. And because like we're in this really small town. So my dad ended up having to go to um, like University of Michigan, like big major hospital so they could figure out what was going on. But it wasn't till I was older that my mom told me more about like, like I just knew like my dad went into the hospital and like they needed better doctors. So, you know, he was gone for a few months. But my mom told me later things where she's just like, yeah, she's like, we took him in. And I remember seeing things like once they took his blood pressure and it was 40 over zero. What does that mean? Um, well, normal is like 120 over 80, I believe. I should know this. I'm, I'm pretty sure neither of those numbers should ever be zero. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and yeah, and my mom said also like she saw like nurses were basically squeezing bags of blood to get them into them fast enough. Oh, that kind and, of stuff makes like, we there's going to be a lot of descriptions coming up about bodily functions pertaining to death i just wanted to throw that out there if you're squeamish by that kind of stuff oh yeah that's good (laughs) anyway yeah but so the thing that is just kind of like weird that i think of is yes okay that was serious and then they did you know eventually (laughs) figure it out so that he could continue living but like this i I wanted to say even earlier because i feel like it relates a lot to you feeling like oh i'm 30 and i've never had any major like brush with death or anything Mm -hmm. like that And I remember thinking in like 
my late teens and 20s and stuff like that when people were having like major upheavals in their family or major crises and things like that and I was always just kind of felt sort of awkward as in like well nothing really bad has ever happened to me. It's not minimizing again. Yeah but it always just kind of felt yeah like I've never had any like big drama or anything like really serious happen in my life and that would be something that would come up sometimes is be like I wonder what it would have been like if my dad died when I was six. That would have been a major thing. That's another topic to talk about later is like how close we've all come to that without realizing it or like, Mm -hmm. that's the thing. You can't think about that because then you go down the spiral of like, oh my God, like what if they had died at that time? And like, what if they die now? Because I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Or like, how would my life have been if I hadn't grown up with a dad the last 25 years but also you say that nothing like terrible has happened to you I would disagree oh yeah knowing your story like (laughs) we all minimize a little bit but I think you minimize a lot and you will find out later there's there's a big one that I don't believe I've told you at all that really relates to this episode yeah Lauren and I have only been co-hosts for 12 episodes now we're still finding out about each other right (laughs) um okay anything else no I'm ready to continue all right Something in the death industry that you'll see that's very common is uh, actually a really interesting thing. You know, you have your criers and then you have your laughers. Those are the ones you got to watch out for. Everybody grieves very differently. Some people puck, you know, they joke around, they laugh, you know, they do what I did, which is go completely numb and just don't even cry, laugh or cry, just kind of are very neutral. You, you see people who lose very close family members who just don't react at all. But what people don't see is the fighting, the infighting. A lot of families have infighting. And believe it or not, it's over assets. It's always over assets. You wouldn't believe the kind of greed that comes out of people when they are grieving or when somebody has passed away. People will fight over the dumbest crap you could imagine. Um, Wife lost her husband. He was in his 60s, I believe he, he, had, um, he had cancer and he had died. And wife and the, the husband's sister got into a huge fight over who was going to get his lawnmower. Like the, 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 the sister wanted the lawnmower back because he had, she had given it to him as a birthday gift. My mom had the same thing where she, she kind of, she had a lot of infighting whenever my grandmother passed away and whenever my grandfather passed away, there was a lot of infighting because he was a stepdad and the son came out of the freaking woodwork asking for everything under the sun. But my mom did the same thing after my dad died. My mom went into the apartment where my dad and I lived and just started taking anything that was valuable. Meanwhile, my, my brother's mom, my brother and I share the same dad, but different moms. My brother's mom is scrubbing blood off the walls in my dad's room where he had coughed up blood and had wiped it on the, uh, the wall. It looked like a crime scene. And meanwhile, my mom's just, anything she could get her hands on, she was, she was grabbing. Anything she could find of value, she, she took. You know, so so what's really common, I guess I would say, is people will fight over the pettiest crap you could imagine. Absolute, the pettiest stuff. Tensions are high. Emotions are high. People tend to, you know, funeral homes tend not to bring the best out in people because of things like spending a lot of money. <laughs> um, it's not cheap. Death is not a cheap thing. It's, it's a burden on families and you have greedy family members who come out of the woodworks. It's just, it's a lot. So you have a lot of fighting. 
Something you'll notice about employees themselves is how much they have to separate themselves from families and how much they have to separate themselves from the, the bodies themselves. Unless you have a really good mortician, they tend to talk to the bodies. Um, bodies are very reactionary. Uh, even after you expire, you do a lot of active things after you die. <laughs> um, so while body prepping, you know, things like uh, eyes will pop open, um, liquids will ooze, things like that. Sometimes like bodies would exhale and make noises like, <laughs> um, that one's scary, but it's very common. Um, twitches, movements, all very common when it comes to prepping bodies for funerals. Uh, it, it's quite normal. Your brain doesn't just die and that's it. The rest of your body will still try to work as long as it can before it dies itself. Some parts of your body will die later than others, like nerves and cells. So when that happens, those nerves are dying off, they'll, you'll have muscle spasms because of it, and uh, you'll have been long dead, but suddenly your finger's twitching, or suddenly your eyelids are popping open, or suddenly your mouth is dropping. It, it's all very common. Also, when we expire, we're full of air. So when a mortician is moving the body around, they're putting pressure on the abdomen, so they're pushing out that air. So sometimes people will make noises or will exhale afterward. Would I say there are ways that people react to death that society deems inappropriate? Um, so here's the thing about society is society is always ever-changing. Society always changes uh, from one year to the next. There was a time when society deemed showing a woman's ankle as inappropriate. There was a time when wearing two pieces of cloth together was deemed inappropriate. Two pieces of, of, of different materials together was deemed inappropriate. You know, there's not much value on what society deems as appropriate or inappropriate because it's constantly changing. There's no one way to grieve. There's no one way to respond to death. Death is a very difficult thing to talk about, mainly because of the things I already addressed, which is the permanence of it, um, the fact that people can't see themselves cease to exist. People can't imagine a life in which they are not alive and conscious. There was a time when society viewed death in a far more natural light. It just, it was a part of life. And it, it had a lot to do with the fact that there were setbacks in medicine. You know, modern medicine has made death this sacred thing because our mortality rate has dropped significantly. But if you think about the late Middle Ages when the bubonic plague was outbreaking and even the, the, the plague of Justinian before that, and then later on in the Victorian era, you had death photography because infant mortality rates were very, very common and, and, and child mortality rates. If you think about when the Oregon Trail was happening, children would just disappear and never come back. Children died of uh, dysentery. You had like I said, the Victorian era when they had smallpox and an outbreak of syphilis. Our life expectancy has increased with modern medicine, um, and with it, we have strayed further and further away from death because of it, which means that our fear of death is a direct result of, the, of, of society's adversity to death. You know, and I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not making a slide at, at modern medicine. I'm saying it's, it's a great thing that we have this deterrent to death because it proves that we have a much higher life expectancy because we've done all of this research to make it so we can treat things like smallpox and polio 
and all of these other diseases that are perfectly curable and, and non-transmittable now. But I say that with the added effect that if society deems somebody's response to death, however it may be, as unacceptable, whether they make dark jokes, whether they cry uncontrollably and hysterically, whether they uh, get really angry, whether they take their shirt off and swing it around their head and go, woo, you know, it's all because of the strangeness and the distance that we have from death, that it is the, the way that it is. All right, pause. So there's a lot to talk about here. When we were drafting the questions we wanted to ask mm -hmm. her, I know you specifically wanted to hear about what are some like inappropriate reactions to death. Yeah. So what do you think about her answer? It was kind of like what I had thought. I feel like maybe I just kind of wanted some confirmation. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> here's my big story that I've been saving. Um, when I was 10 years old, then my 13 year old sister died. Oh shit. <laughs> and the thing is she was born with some sort of brain damage um, when she was born. I mean, cause this was in like the seventies. I know they called it water on the brain, but I've since learned about that condition and that is not what this was. Like I've never seen anyone else with such severe brain damage because she did not talk at all. She could not move hardly. She just, you know, kind of like laid curled up on the couch and sometimes made little jerky movements. She never grew much past the size of like six year old. Um, she would have been 13 when she died. And that's what I think of is because I was a 10 year old and first of all, I was not sad. Well, I mean, yeah, you didn't really know her. No, I mean, she didn't even have, you know, like there can be people that have some brain damage and maybe like are born that way or whatever, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I want to be politically correct. But, well, yeah, you're speaking yeah. about your experience. Yeah, but I mean, yes. And there, that's there what you people, were thinking. There are people that are born with, with some, some sort of, yeah, Thing like that and they still have a personality maybe they can't speak like English words but you know maybe you can they can react in some way this was nothing this was like having a doll that wow. sometimes like gurgled and um, yeah so it was it was nothing and the thing that even at 10 years old I remember made me feel really guilty is that part of me was kind of glad because my family could not we couldn't do much I mean yeah someone always had to be taking care of her. There's things that I wanted to do. I wanted to like play sports and be in dance and stuff like that. And I couldn't because there was no one to take me to these things because my mom always had to be home with my sister. And it was probably expensive too, just her care and everything I can imagine. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, she had this specific kind of like car seat wheelchair that went in the back of our car if we had to go like grocery shopping or something like that then my mom just had to like take her with us and I think I became desensitized to it because I was so used to it but I'm like I'm sure people were staring at us and being like what is wrong with that girl <laughs> wow you, you know what's kind of ironic hmm. uh in this moment having just heard that I didn't, I had no idea about that. Um, I'm learning along with you listeners and I'm in this moment, I'm thinking about my reaction mm -hmm. to this news. Like what is the appropriate way to respond to someone who just told you that their 13 year old sister died when they're 10? How fucked up is that? No, cause that's, that's also part of, you know, like I said, because I never had a relationship or anything. So it wasn't like a big sadness for me when it happened. So 
it's not something I tend to volunteer because I don't want to see people be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That must have been so terrible because then I feel guilty all over again. Like, it really wasn't. Yeah, and, and like Alyssa was saying, there are no inappropriate reactions to it. Like, that reaction that you had was perfectly valid and makes sense to me, like, as an outsider. Yeah. I mean, the time when I felt like I did finally start to at least, like, felt like I grieved something was not until I was about 30, and that was when I finally thought of it in terms of, you know... I was supposed to have a sister, like Mm. a sister that's three years older than me. You know, she's going to be a senior in high school when I'm a freshman. She's going to like argue with me all the time for wanting to follow her and copy her. And then she's going to want to beat up the kids that make fun of me. And, you know, it's like, I didn't get any of that. And that was the part I think, yeah, that was the saddest. That is really sad. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of follow-up questions that we don't have time to go to now. Yeah, I really don't want to just brush past this <laughs> news, but we do need to keep to keep going with the episode. But yeah, th- this is something we can talk about more later. Like I said, it, it wasn't even until this episode that I realized, wow, I should maybe bring that up. Yeah. What did you think about what Alyssa said about the bodies and stuff? I almost didn't keep that in, but I wanted to because it is part of death. Like, you're going to be dead someday, and you're going to have people die. I don't know. For me, it, it, it's comforting to know what happens, like, after and that it's normal. Yeah, I like kind of a logical explanation. Like, I feel like yeah. I've, I've heard in the past, you know, people say things like, this could happen, you know, I mean, everyone says, like, you, you empty your bowels afterwards, mm-hmm, or, yeah, yeah or I've, I've heard things where they say, like, oh, you know, people can sound like they sigh, but, you know, it's it's just a thing, but when she said, like, that different parts of your body actually die at different points, then Dude. I was like, that makes sense why all this stuff happens. It makes <laughs> sense, but it also freaks me out Oh, it's, it's creepy. I agree, but, but at least I understand why. Bodies just like, freak me why? out. Not just dead bodies, but living bodies freak me, me out uh mm-hmm. we well, we don't have time to talk about that no <laughs> um are you ready to play the last part of her voicemail yeah some misconceptions about death is that i really 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 want to emphasize this death is not a medical event death is a part of life people always look at death in this very clinical analytical way and it is not quite that yes there is clinical and medical aspects to it. Of course there are. Everything that has to do with the human body is very clinical. But to view death as a medical event is to completely disregard life as an abstract experience. I think when we look at death traditions and we look at the different ways in which people handle death and funerals in general, we get a better aspect of, of, of how other cultures really view death still in that light of it being a part of life. You know, you have my, my favorite, of course, is the New Orleans uh, jazz funerals because they're so lively, even after somebody is dead. It's still so lively. It's so awesome. You have sky funerals in Tibet. You have in Indonesia, they pretty much do a weekend at Bernie's with your body. You know, it really, there are so many different ways in which people celebrate life. They use death as an excuse to celebrate life, which is what I really feel like us, especially in the United States, are lacking. I know that New Orleans is in the United States. I just, I mean, overall, unless you are in New Orleans, which is where, you know, that's death central. If you think about it, it's really one of the only places in the United States 
that really has a grasp on what it means to live and what it means to die. <laughs> um, and it has a lot to do with uh, hurricanes and it has a lot to do with just their culture and, and their Creole culture. A lot of what they've adopted came from um, Haitian immigrants. So they have somewhat of a grasp that not a lot of other places in different states have because they've had such a large melting pot of other cultures kind of influence that. So a really common vampire trope is these beautiful forever immortals, right? And then you always see in, in certain films and you, you see it in books all the time where they start to get really frustrated with life because they start to realize that they're not living anymore, that they're just existing. It, it's really interesting to me because it, it really touches on that aspect of how important death is for life. Without death, you are not living. Without the, the, that, that looming aspect of that time is finite and that everything and everyone dies. You lose a part of yourself that is distinctly alive. And it, it does this thing where it makes humans do everything with the utmost importance. It's frantic. You want to love hard. You want to be happy. You want to experience things. You want to go travel. You want to meet new people. You want to socialize. You want to, every emotion that you feel feels dire because you know that eventually it'll be gone. And I think that people have this, this, this concept, this obsession with immortality as if it's not so dreadfully boring. And I guess that kind of ties into that last, almost second to last question about what, what are some things that people can do to make death less scary? Mark Twain put it best. I do not fear death. I had been dead for billions and billions of years before and had not suffered the slightest inconvenience from it. Essentially what he's saying is, I was fine before I was born, I'll be fine when I go. And this quote brings me the utmost comfort. It really does, because if you think about it, wow, I had no idea what was going on <laughs> before I was born. You weren't alive. You were, weren't born yet. And to imagine life, and to imagine death, I should say, to imagine death the same exact way as before you were born, makes it far less scary. And not to get too political, but, um, you know, after the overturning of Roe v. Wade and me kind of, you know, uh, expressing my distaste of it, people would bring up the talking point of, well, your mom didn't abort you. Aren't you glad to be here? Well, if she had aborted me, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> I wouldn't have known. I had no consciousness. My only ask is that when I drift away and I rejoin the void that I don't die in pain or in scared. You know, and even more than that, I'm scared to die scared. It's not even really in pain that I'm scared of. It's just dying scared. <laughs> I want to die relatively at peace. So I just think of it like before I was born. I, it wasn't like I was waiting to be born. I had no consciousness. I had no knowing. So those two things bring me the most comfort. Imagining that it was before I was ever born and imagining death as a part of life because that's what it is. Everybody dies, everything dies, from the little mouse, to the fly, to the big oak tree, they all die. Everything dies. And knowing that death is just a part of life, and knowing that everything dies, also brings me comfort. It makes me feel far less alone. It makes death a far less lonely experience. 
I think people are, fa are really, really afraid of being forgotten. I think that's something that a lot of people don't admit. When you talk about death, people are terrified of talking about death. They're, they're scared. It's, it's like the, the looming thing. They're scared of talking about death because then it happens. It, uh, and they're also scared to acknowledge that one day, centuries down the line, their stories may never be told again. And to that, I just want to say that to this day, we still talk about our ancestors, all of us. Um, so you'll just be lumped in with that. You'll just be one of those ancestors lumped in with the rest of the ancestors who just look down upon your successors and just grimace because they're, you know, um, doing unspeakable things to a 3D model of some anime character, <laughs> you know? So uh, don't worry, you're not going to be forgotten. You're just going to be a very disgruntled ancestor. But even more than that, if you want to be remembered, take notes, start writing a book. Do things, do things that you can pass down to family members so that your story can continue to be told years from now. I, I, I really want people to take comfort in the fact that, they, that you won't be forgotten. You won't die for nothing. Dying is a part of life. What you should be afraid of is living for nothing. Live for something, have meaning, find meaning. Find meaning in yourself. Take that with you and run with it. Some lasting thoughts. Uh, I believe that we have strayed too far away from death. I think we need to come back. We need to be able to talk about it comfortably. I still can't have a conversation with my husband about what I want when I die because it's one of those things that could very well happen, you know, sooner than I'd like. And, and I want to be able to have my remains respected the way I want them to. But people are so adverse to talking about death that they just don't. And it is very, very important that we talk about it. We talk about being scared to die. We, care, we talk about being scared to be forgotten. We talk about being alive and, and, and trying, and, and we talk about being scared to not find meaning in life before we die. We talk about these things. We're able to verbalize our fears. We become better communicators. We can actively and proactively look to solving these feelings and mitigating these feelings and just generally coming to terms with them. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> uh, that Mark Twain quote gave me chills. I know. I've heard this. I've heard her voicemails like four times while I was editing, mm -hmm. and like every time, it gave me chills. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Yes. And just talking <laughs> about being afraid of death needs to be normalized. I think. Or like, yeah. not just that part. It's like she was saying, not just the fear of death, but just the inevitability of death and death in general. Why don't we talk about that more? I mean, I know why. Yeah, um, I think around the time when she, she made that Mark Twain quote and also was talking about how the vampire stories tend to go and things like yeah. that, then I, then I actually wrote down, um, death is scary, but how scary is the thought of living forever? Oh, I've always thought that. That's one reason why I had so much anxiety about going to heaven as a kid, because mm -hmm. I could not imagine being happy, just yes. being up there forever, just worshiping Jesus or whatever. I can't understand forever. Yes. I, forever is such a really scary concept to me. Even scarier than death, I think, is just the concept of forever. And so I yeah. really love how she said you didn't exist forever and you're not going to exist after you die, but that's okay. Like how less scary is that? Yeah. And going back to, you know, like what I said earlier is I vaguely believe there is an afterlife, but I'm fully accept there could not be. Who knows? And I, and I think that is part of it is because it doesn't give me comfort either way. Yeah. I'm just, either way, I'm anxious. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, I can't understand just not existing, but I can't understand forever. Yeah. It's scary, heavy stuff, which is why mm-hmm. I love the way she ended it. Just telling... Sorry, I dropped my vape. Just like <laughs> urging people to not live for nothing. And I I mean, look at this podcast, for instance. Like we're telling mm-hmm. our stories on here and it's kind of dumb and who knows how many people listen, but it's it exists. It's a record of what we went through. And that brings me some comfort. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. When, when she started this section, it was something she was talking about. And I, I made some notes because I thought of how, like, oh, when she was talking about how different people Oh, treat yeah. Death, that was really good. I've come to realize that, like, one of my favorite things when people die is I like it when it is an opportunity to remember the good times and to tell funny stories. Yes. And to, yeah, really make it, like, a celebration of life, as cheesy as that sounds, but... Totally. So my my aunt died when she was 60, so not, you know, like, not super young, but too young. She had two daughters, and one of them was the one daughter's godparent, and they also share a birthday, so I know they've always kind of felt some connection, and this is the sister that is within a year of my mom, so they, mm. you know, grew up very close. So within, like, the year or two after she died, then my mom, I know, worked on making a book where she just, she got some other people to write some things, and she wrote a lot of memories, and especially, you know, like, growing up with this sister so close, and she she gave it to her daughter, I and there was just... That. Yeah, and there was just, I mean, there was, like, really sweet things from people that... that remembered her and she was important in their life and there was also things like one of them is my mom told the story about how when they were like really little you know maybe like seven or eight and they had to sleep in the same bed then she said at night that they would take out their shoes and they would pretend like their shoes were people going on dates oh my god that is adorable (laughs) and and when they kiss at the end of the night then the one shoe would you like lift off the floor like That is so cute. And all kids do stuff like that. Like, I did stuff like that with my sisters. And that is the kind of thing that needs to be remembered. Yeah, I just love that she had these cute little sweet stories to to tell, you know, just I imagine like if I was my cousin getting that, I would that that would give me some comfort. (laughs) I definitely feel comforted after making this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Alyssa, I can't thank you enough for sending those in. I wish we could have had you as a proper guest, uh, but we're not ready for that yet. (laughs) Um, But before we close it out, do you have any more thoughts? I I think the only thing that that came up, and I don't even know what all to say about this, is just that I've realized that I don't have that fear that other people do about being forgotten. Hmm. That's the same sort of thing where I'm just kind of like, I'm not going to be here. Yeah. Why do I care? That's a really good point. Why do I care so much? I'm not going to be here. I mean, it's, it's the same thing as funeral stuff. Like, I don't care about people remembering me. And some people, like, go vehemently the other way, I feel like, where they're yeah. just like, I, I want to be cremated. I don't want any sort of ceremony. I don't want anyone standing around. But, you know, like they say, funerals are for the living. So yeah. it's, if it's going to make the people living feel better, then okay, put me on display. Yeah. I don't want it, but whatever. And I will <laughs> say that knowing what happens when I die does give me some relief from this death anxiety that I have. Um, Mm -hmm. so even though I know that I won't be around for it, just knowing that I have some control or like knowing what might happen after I die gives me comfort. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a middle ground. I I do think everyone should have some sort of plan, even if it's like a Google doc that you make when you're stoned. Uh, Not that I did that. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, that is actually kind of how I want to wrap up. I did not 
find a pickle palette cleanser for this episode <laughs> because, first of all, I didn't really have a lot of time. And also, I yeah. think this is a more serious episode and it would be kind of disrespectful to just like make a ton of jokes yeah. to laugh at the end. But I, I did want to leave us. Right. <laughs> yeah, I did want to leave us with something a little lighthearted. And so. I found the Google Doc that I mentioned just now that I may or may not have made when I was stoned. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's embarrassing Mm -hmm. and I want to change some of it. But there's this one paragraph that I want to read because it's so funny. So this is what I want to happen to my motorcycle after I die. My bike goes to whoever wants it most. But the caveat is that if people can't come to an agreement, the winner must be decided by a panel of PowerPoint presentation judges. <laughs> Non-family members are welcome to participate. Hell, they don't even have to have known me if they want to PowerPoint it up for my bike. Should be spicy. <laughs> so nice. it's obviously like not legally binding at all. Uh, it's, right. I'll probably like revise it. But like just doing something like that is better than nothing. Yeah. And I don't know. I had fun when I made it, and now I feel like at least it'll give my family members a laugh. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so um, I hope that you listeners were comforted by this as much as yeah. we were. We're we are going to talk more about um, some of the things that came up. <laughs> yeah, some of the yeah, stuff we... that came up. I feel like we almost need a part two to this. I know. I was like, we had a few things we had to brush by because time. <laughs> but yeah, um, this is a really long episode. So happy Halloween, everybody. And yeah, yeah. That's, all, that's all I got. Don't be too afraid of death. Don't be too afraid <laughs> of death. Go out and celebrate it. You know, if, if you're the yeah. kind of person that likes to celebrate death and that makes you feel less anxious about death, by all means, go. this is your holiday. Go enjoy it. Be safe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we'll see you next week. Lauren will be moved into her new apartment. Yay! <laughs> and you'll hear all about it. Yes. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>